A reading from Matthew 2, 9-12. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. One of the fascinating things to me in the early part of the Christ story is multiple levels of things going on. Uh, and uh, we started, uh, we were uh, in Herod's uh, castle or his palace uh, uh, January 29th and, and before that. But when you look at, you know, the, the center of power in Rome and all that that implies, but one of the things that kind of reminds us of is the reason Jesus came into the world, according to Matthew, is he came to save the people from their sins. And there's nothing that it embodies and symbolizes uh, the sinful nature so much as Herod himself, who is a ruthless uh, uh, ruler, which is going to <clears throat> more than prove to us as we go on in the story. But it's also fascinating that way beyond uh, the boundaries of Israel, uh, these wise men had um, traveled all of this way to see the one that would be king. I don't think they understood exactly what that meant. Uh, I'm not sure they didn't consider uh, the Christ child uh, was going to be another uh, king in the line of David or something of that sort. It really doesn't say. Uh, but they're obedient to the vision of the star, and they travel all that way. But they also know uh, lurking in the background is Herod, uh, who is very unpredictable and and. He says he wants to come and worship the child, but he's uh, dissembling. Yep. <laughs> it's all this fascinating twist and turns of the story. There's one line in here that I'm going to focus on and illustrate. It says, having been warned in a dream, having been warned in a dream. Maybe we read that and we think, well, what, what does that look like? Well, I can tell you from personal experience, I, I received one of these uh, warning dreams one time, not through myself, but through my son. I think I've mentioned this a few times already, but my, my son has prophetic dreams and visions. And, um, there was one time several years ago when I was still an associate pastor before Chuck Davis, um, had even announced he was going to leave or anything like that. And I, I was being pursued by another church to become their senior pastor. And I was, you know, taking it seriously. I was interviewing and stuff like that. And I, um, one morning I was having breakfast and my son who was, I don't know, maybe seven, I forget how old he was, but he looked at me over his cereal bowl and he said, daddy, I had a dream last night. We were at another church. I was like, okay, go on. He's got these big brown eyes, wide eyes looking at me across the table. And he says, yeah. Um, well, actually then I said, what did the church look like? And he starts describing in perfect detail, <laughs> the exterior of the church where I was interviewing. So I was really very interested now, kind of leaning on the edge of my seat. 
And I said, what else did you notice about it? And he said, well, the sanctuary was full of trees, daddy, but the trees were all dying. They were wilting and nobody cared. Nobody was watering them. And I was like, wow, that was like a really interesting depiction actually of my perception of the leadership in the congregation. It was a spiritually dying church. I said, what else did you see? And he said, well, there were big storm clouds overhead and the steeple was breaking and falling off. I was like, whoa, you know, it's kind of foretelling. And then I said, what else? And he looks at me in this total innocent, wide-eyed gaze. And he says, we shouldn't go there. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what is happening? I mean, he had no idea that even that I was interviewing anywhere. And um, so I looked at Nancy and I was like, oh my gosh, I think we were just warned in a dream. Just just like the Magi. (laughs) I don't remember saying, connecting it to the Magi, but... Uh, these things still happen. We talked the other day about how if, if the gospel is true, um, then the God of the universe is telling the story and the stars are going to line up to it. Dreams and visions are going to line up to it. But obviously the narrative of scripture is going to line up to it. The prophecies are going to line up to it because if it's God speaking, then everything will align to the same story. Yes. Uh, be kind of um, fun to uh, go back uh, to the earliest parts of the Bible and um, find where dreams have uh, mm-hmm. have made a huge difference. I think the main point is that God communicates uh, His message through many ways, many channels. Many, you know, it, it could be a a chance. Um, uh, running into somebody you've known from long ago, and they they give you a message of some kind. Uh, and here in this part, I mean, how many? Uh, I think Zechariah. I, I know Joseph. Uh, I believe Mary. Uh, they all receive a message from God through dreams. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's easy to discount dreams or to secularize them or mm-hmm. to explain them by something happen, happening in your life. But if you're attuned to it and you've embraced Jesus Christ uh, and you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in your heart, I think the capacity to hear God or, or uh, respond to him through a dream is it, it just, it, 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 it magnifies. Mm. 